Friends, good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, good morning and welcome to those of you joining us, uh, just making your way in from the cold, to those of you who've found a seat already, uh, to those of you joining us on our live stream or at some point after the fact this week, welcome. So glad that you could be with us today. When we gather for a church in all of these different ways, uh, we do so to sing God's praises and uh, to remember His good news and to let it seep a little deeper into our lives. And to do that, we use words and songs printed in this liturgy, and they'll also be displayed for you on the screens or on your little picture-in-picture -picture at home, just so we all know how, uh, how we're participating this morning. We also share sometimes community updates and things coming up in the life of our church. You will have noticed that some things have changed around you, but just hold off on that. Pay no attention to the decorations behind the curtain. Yet, later, more on that later. Um, but also, uh, in addition to that sense that things are changing, we know Thanksgiving is coming up this week and want to let you know that uh, as a church, we have an opportunity to give thanks directly to God on Thursday morning as part of a church service, which seems very appropriate. We're going to do that at Fairlawn. Originally, we were going to do it here, but it turns out there's going to be a, a race in which many of the roads are closed, and so that seemed like we didn't want to make it unnecessarily difficult for you to get here. Um, and so we've moved the service to Fairlawn Church up the hill on Goldthwaite Road. Please join us at 9 a.m. on Thursday morning. Put the turkey in early, set the timer, come and join us. It should be great. Um, the other things coming up, we have uh, a new Advent worship series that will be starting next Sunday, and we are going to be worshiping and doing that series in conjunction with our sister church, Fairlawn Christian Reformed Church. Uh, Joel and I have been working this fall on putting a series together. We actually ha also have some information and a reading guide that we'll be sending out to all of you this week digitally, and also we'll have it printed and available next week as well so that we can all participate in this together. Lots of exciting things happening. One other thing I want to mention for you is that um, sometimes we smell the bacon coming up from youth group on Sunday mornings. On, on Sunday, December 4th, the bacon comes to us, as it were. Uh, the high school youth group would like to make breakfast for all of us as a church. So at 8.30, uh, Sunday morning, if you can set your clock early and come and join us, um, they would like to make you breakfast. And so please come on uh, Sunday, December 4th, and join us for that. And on this Sunday, uh, you may not know this as you walked in today, but this is the end of the Christian uh, liturgical year. It is Old Year's Eve, as it were. This is Christ the King Sunday. Uh, and on Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year, uh, Christians across the world declare that Jesus is King. And we remember and celebrate that on the last day, Everyone will see this and bow in awe and wonder and humility. And that's weird for us because we are a people who are proudly without kings. Right? We had a big tea party uh, not so long ago trying to get rid of one such king. So what does it mean that we celebrate not just a king, but the king? Well, the good news about this king is that what makes him different is that he tasted death for everyone. 
And that is a flavor that we all know in this life. When we bow to this king, we are handing authority to the one who made us and who saved us. So in the world around us, um, we keep telling each other that we should write our own story. Uh, And for all the ways we believe this is what will make us happy, no matter how we try to write it, it always comes out the same way. And it comes out with the same exact ending. Christianity says that God started your story, and Christ is the one who can author an ending to it, and one better than anything you can ever imagine. Our stories are meant to be gathered up into the grand story that he is telling. And the good news is that we today don't have to wait until the end of history to see how it plays out. In fact, we can celebrate that ending today. So friends, would you rise in body and spirit? Let's worship. Well, good morning, everyone. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Extol him with music and song. The Lord is great. Great King of all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, under his care.
Righteous God, you have crowned Jesus Christ as Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him and are slow to acknowledge his rule. We give allegiance to the powers of this world and fail to be governed by justice and love. Raise us to acclaim him as ruler of all, that we may have been loyal ambassadors, obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your mercy. I'd now like you 
to take a silent confession to God. Friends, do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. With his blood, he has purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He has made them to be the kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Thanks be to God. And now I'd like to invite the deacons to come up for our offering. Uh, we're going to pass the baskets around, or you can uh, give online. There's a QR code. Um, and with that, let's pray. Lord, you are faithful. Out of your great mercy, you have given us so much, and for that, we thank you. I pray for the ministries here at Pleasant Street. May this offering glorify your name and be used to further your kingdom. May it be a great blessing to many in our community. And we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
Friends in church, we hear good news all the time. God forgives our sins and he makes peace. And in that, we get to pass this peace to each other with a real handshake or a wave. Uh, some of us don't feel comfortable with, with a handshake, and that's totally fine. You can just give a wave. But this is something we do that we pass the peace to each other. So with that, new guests, friends that have been here for a while, let's share that peace with, with Christ. Friends, the peace of Christ is with you. Now take a moment to share that piece. I'd now like to invite our kids ages four through second grade there to come up to for a dismissal for Kid Street. And people of God, what is our prayer? Continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. The Lord be with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. Um, for the last several months, I've been part of the group that's been meeting on Saturday mornings, um, talking about praying using the Psalms. And that's been a very powerful, enriching, um, at times vulnerable and humbling experience. And I wanted to give you a taste of that today. So my prayer is going to be based on several psalms. Um, psalm, let me put my glasses on. Psalm 33 is a, a psalm of adoration and worship. Psalm 130 is a psalm of repentance. Psalm 71 is a psalm of petition. And Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. Join me in praying to God. Almighty God, we sing joyfully to you, for it is fitting for us to praise you. We praise you, Lord, with the guitar. We make music to you on the violin. We sing to you a new song, playing skillfully and shouting for joy, for your word holds true. You are faithful in all you do. You, Lord, love what is just and good, and the earth is full of your unfailing love. By your word, Lord, the heavens are made. The stars are born by the breath of your mouth. You assign the sea its boundaries and lock the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear you, Lord. Let all people of the world stand in awe of you. You spoke and it all came to be. It appeared at your command. You frustrate the plans of the nations. You thwart all their schemes. But your plans, Lord, stand firm forever. The intentions of your heart can never be shaken through all generations. What joy for us as a people whose God is the Lord. You have chosen us for your inheritance. From heaven you look down and see all mankind from your dwelling place, you watch all who live on earth. Your eyes, Lord, are on us who fear you 
and on us whose hope is in your unfailing love. We put our hope in you, Lord. You are our help and our shield. In you our hearts rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. O Lord, from the depths of despair, we call for your help. Hear our cry, Lord. Pay attention to our prayers. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. We are counting on you, Lord. Yes, we are counting on you. We long for you, Lord, more than watchmen wait for the dawn. Yes, more than watchmen wait for the dawn. We put our hope in you, Lord, for you are unfailing in your love, and you have fully redeemed us from all our sin. O Lord, we have come to you for refuge and protection. We lift before you those who are ill or struggle with health concerns, especially today for Hank and Bev E, for Cindy H, for Carol L, for Karen S, and for Chuck M's father, who is in hospice. We lift before you those who are grieving, especially today the family of Bill and Heather R, and the loss of Bill's father. Lord, save us and rescue us, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to us and set us free. Be our rock of safety where we can always go. Give the command to save us, for you are our rock and fortress. Deliver us, our God, from the power of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been our hope. You are our strong refuge. Do not set us aside when we are old. Do not forsake us when our strength is failing. Do not be far from us, our God, to help us. Though you have allowed us to suffer much hardship, you will restore us to life again and lift us from the depths of the earth. You will increase our honor and comfort us once more. With grateful hearts, we shout for joy to you, O Lord, all the earth. We worship you, O Lord, with gladness, and we come before you with joyful songs. We know that you, O Lord, are our God. It is you who made us, and we are yours. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and go into your courts with praise. We give thanks to you and praise your name. For you, Lord, are good, and your love endures forever. Your faithfulness continues to each generation. All praise to you. Hear our prayer, Lord. We pray this all in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. As we finish up uh, Pastor Matthew's study on 1 Corinthians, our verses today come from 1 Corinthians 15, the last chapter in this book. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, good morning. As we come to the end of this wild ride this fall with 1 Corinthians, 
Would you join me in a prayer? Lord, we are here again. We have come back to this place and to these words out of weeks that have taken us in all kinds of places. We have wandered through happy news and surprising new life. We have worked hard. We have met sorrow. And we are here again today looking for the same thing that we have been looking for when we've come before, to see and to know that you understand all of this, and that even in old words written to Christians who spoke another language a long time ago, that even here we might meet you. And so we ask that you would come now by your Holy Spirit and give us what we have tasted and seen before for the first time. Amen. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but something extremely contagious is going around right now. Every time I turn on the news, I hear about its devastation in our communities and in our world. I get updates all the time. Maybe you've gotten them too. It's creating all kinds of divisions around us, divisions between countries, uh, between regional communities, even within families. Sadly, sometimes even churches seem to be divided up because of it. In this country where we live, it's caused churches to divide along some pretty consistent political lines, or perhaps, perhaps what this sickness really did was to reveal the political fault lines that were already there. Either way. Part of what makes this sickness so dangerous is that no one seems to have natural immunity to it. There are lots of suggestions about things that we might do, but as of yet, no one has found a way to cure fear. Now, don't believe anyone who tells you that they've never had fear before. I know there is that New Englander bluff, but it's just ancient Stoic philosophy in a winter jacket. We've all had fear at some point. In fact, some of us might be sick with it now. We might be carrying it and not even know. The symptoms are everywhere if you look. I, we have all the signs of heated conversations leading to sweaty characterizations of those who think differently than we do. There's this feverish buying habit going on that puts us at the center of things. We're, we're having these leadership hallucinations whereby human leaders become either saviors or ogres. Have you noticed this? And of course, there's the anxious palpitations about the future and the economy. We may not always recognize fear for what it is, though, because the symptoms can be quite varied. 
But if you look closely, you will find that beneath all of the symptoms that we see, at the bottom of every fear is a common condition. Christianity says, ah, what you have is the fear of death. The fear of death? Sometimes it's hard to see how that could be the root cause of the things that we are feeling and experiencing now. I mean, after all, we've gotten rather used to death, haven't we? I mean, sometimes we go even so far as to say things like, death is natural. Death, death is part of life. Death should be greeted as a friend. A friend? Is that what you call something that steals your loved ones from you and turns them into pictures on the wall? I don't know, what do you call the thing that turns human beings against each other in competition for dwindling resources? Is a friend, is it a friend that whispers in your ear on the happiest day of your life, this too is temporary? I don't know about you, but I would not call that a friend. I would call that an enemy who makes me live in fear of its sting. Paul concludes his magnificent, arduous, tedious, difficult letter to the Corinthians, writing about, of all things, the sting of death and the resurrection of the body. They go together, you see, according to Paul. They go together because to write about the resurrection of real human bodies, Jesus and ours, is to write about the reality of death, Jesus and ours. For Paul, death is not a welcome last breath at the end of life. Death is a malignant power in the world. Death is a force, an enemy that wears faces and has many allies in this world. In Paul's world, he could look around and he could see death dressed in Roman imperial colors. He could see death behind the leaders commanding an army that used military conquest as foreign policy. Death was hiding behind an empire that promised peace and security and then made it from the brutal grind of capital punishment in mass. Paul could see that it was death behind the slavish slavish idolatry to false gods whose behavior was unpredictable and whose desires for human sacrifice were never-ending. Paul knew that it was death behind the nihilism of ancient philosophers who taught might is right, that the strong survive and the weak are meant to serve the strong. Paul describes the absolute granite, cold, hard power of death in the simplicity of a single statement. In Adam all die. What Paul is saying is that the power of death has been with us since we left the garden. And now the last thing 
that we can say with certainty about life in this world is that in Adam, all die. Somehow, the Corinthians had started to uh, capitulate to this power that Paul calls death. How can some of you say there is no resurrection? He asks. Well, it's not likely that the Corinthians were outright denying the resurrection. After all, if we've learned anything, we have learned that this was a super spiritually gifted church full of life and vibrancy in the work of God. So it's, it's not likely that they stood up in church one day and said, I don't believe in the resurrection of the body. No, capitulating to the power of death in Corinth looked actually, well, it looked like all of the things that Paul has been writing about in this letter this fall. Look back with me for a moment at some of the things that we've covered together since September. Paul's written about the rivalries within their church. He's written about sexual immorality. He's written about the injustice of how they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. He's tried to clear up misunderstandings about baptism and tried to refocus their aim on what spiritual gifts are all about and how they should think about church and how they should treat each other. And now he caps off his letter about the resurrection of the body. And at first glance, it looks like this is just one more doctrinal issue in, in a long set of difficult issues he's got to make sure he covers before he says goodbye, thank you very much, see you soon. But look again with me, because what Paul is telling us is that, in fact, he has saved the most important thing for last. The last thing that he writes about, the reality of the resurrection, was the first thing that he ever told them. The first thing, as in the most important thing, as in the primary thing, Paul says it's the gospel. The thing that I gave you as of first importance, the start of every sentence that I spoke to you, the main point of all my sermons, the main thing which I tried to keep, the main thing with you, was the gospel. That Jesus died and rose again and ascended, and is reigning, and will come again in glory. The gospel, the good news which you received and believed, which I passed on to you as of first importance. The last thing that Paul says is the first thing he ever said. And the first thing that Paul said is that death is not the last thing. Paul wants them to keep first things first. He wants them to keep the gospel first. So Paul, at the end of his letter, goes back to where it all began. Far from being just another issue that needs correcting, resurrection is at the heart of everything that he's been saying. Or maybe put differently, you could say that Paul wants them to see at last that everything that is difficult for them about church life now has to do with what comes first. He wants them to see their divisions and injustices and favoritism and immorality as symptoms, as symptoms of an underlying condition, capitulating to the sting of death and its power to evoke fear and inflict suffering. 
You know, it's interesting. St. Augustine once said that belief in the resurrection, actual genuine belief in the resurrection and the gospel would cure all heresy. Of course, the problem is that we struggle to believe it. Why? Because in Adam all die. And it hurts. It stings. Every day we turn on the news and we see what death has been up to while we were sleeping. And this is nothing new. But doesn't it seem like as of late somehow it is a lot more pronounced? On Friday, some of us were here for a lecture with Pastor Justin Ruddy from, from Boston. And in some ways, he was talking about exactly this. Reverend Ruddy was trying to tell us why something like spiritual deconstruction, uh, faith crises and doubt, why those things are so prevalent right now. And he said one of the reasons is because of the immediacy of communication. Soldiers in Ukraine can live tweet the front line. Soldiers in Ukraine are Instagramming the war in real time. And that has made communication immediate, it has made news immediate, and it's made the reality of death immediate. Breaking news breaks over our head, and this just in, hey, guess what? In Adam, all die. For some reason, we want updates. And so we can understand how someone could begin subtly, subtly to downplay the, res the resurrection of the body, to step back from this, to walk it back a little bit and hedge it, because of course it doesn't help that we have questions about the resurrection that we don't really have answers to. Will we be 25 forever? I don't know. Will we recognize each other? How is the world going to exist without biological death in it? How am I going to understand myself apart from aging we don't know. But the questions aren't actually what makes it hard. What makes it hard is how real death is. Death's sting awaits us at the end of every relationship, every reform movement, every completed project or accomplished goal. It's always there. And so none of us would outright say we deny the resurrection, not most of us. And yet it can be the case that because of the unrelenting reality of death in this world that it makes, it makes, well, it makes a crown of glory, a celestial city, a resurrected body, a world without tears seem rather impossible. What we do not realize is that slowly, subtly, the reality of death begins to erode away our conviction that this world isn't all that there is. We forget. We forget that the arrangements of power in this world are not always going to be like this, though they have been like this for a long time. We even begin to forget that death is an enemy. Several years ago, there was a story in the New York Times. It was a cover piece about a guy named John Shields 
Shields was a man in British Columbia who, in immense pain, chose to end his own life through doctor-assisted suicide. So this subject matter is difficult. I want to be careful and gentle here for a second. How do we think about this? What does this mean? For Christians like Fleming Rutledge, preacher who has spent a lot of her life in the Anglican tradition preaching Advent and preaching the crucifixion, she blogged about it and she said that what's troubling about the article is not the subject matter, but the fact that Shields and his doctor are presented as heroes. The doctor is a hero for giving him the, quote, gift of death. Shields is a hero for choosing death on his own terms. Now, we would never, not any of us, minimize the excruciating pain that this man is experiencing. I'm sure it was excruciating. His suffering was making him feel out of control. Death was taking things from him that he was not willing to give. But that's the point. He was losing himself, and so he chose in an act of defiance to take his own life rather than let it be taken. And Shields is lifted up as a free man, as a, as a hero. In Adam all die. If this world is all that there is, then I want to choose my own ending. But Paul would say, why have you assumed that that is the end? The article claims he was a hero and that he made a free choice, but who, my friends, set the terms of the choice? Who boxed him in? Who benefits either way? Death set the terms. John merely parsed it out into two options. He thought he was determining his own fate, but really he was just bargaining with a master. Paul says, if you want a religion that's going to give you solace and comfort in a dying world, go find another one. Christianity is not a religion. Please don't call it a religion. Because if only for this life you have hope in Christ, if you're using Christianity to give you hope for life here, you picked the wrong one. Why? Because in this life, Christians are called to suffer unnecessarily. In this life, Christians are called to spend what they have been given for those who do not deserve it and who will not earn it. Christians are called to put themselves at risk so that other people in harm's way can be blocked from harm. Christians are asked to embrace death for others. And you cannot do that if you are spending all of your time avoiding death and its sting. In a world like Paul's or like ours, you cannot say, Jesus is Lord. In a world that declares, Caesar is the Son of God who saved us, they will not let you. You cannot offer forgiveness to someone who has genuinely and deeply hurt you. 
if you know that one day you too have to meet God and you have no hope of being shown mercy, why should I let someone off the hook for their sins when God is not going to let me off the hook for mine? You cannot give up your life for others if this is really the only one that you have. Paul says, if Christ is not raised, then Christianity does not offer anything that death cannot steal from you whenever it wants. If Christ is not raised, then all of the hundreds of eyewitnesses who said they saw him alive are liars. And that means that they are all probably part of this elaborate conspiracy calculated to enslave the world. If Christ is not raised, then I am a liar, and you have been duped, and the people whom you know and love are gone. If Christ is not raised, then you should tear up Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, because it was dedicated to a false god. If Christ is not raised, then go graffiti Michelangelo's David. If Christ is not raised, then abolish the World Health Organization and the International Courts of Justice because there's no such thing as universal human rights. There is no justification to care for the weak or help the poor. If Christ is not raised, then Mother Teresa spent her life missing out on the only good stuff that there is. Billy Graham was selling snake oil and St. Augustine was wrestling with a God who is not there. If Christ is not raised, then everything we fear about death is justified because we are all still in our sins. And when it comes to some kind of final moral assessment, we're going to have to pay what we owe. And my friends, we ain't got the money to pay. Because in Adam all die. And so too shall we die. But if Jesus Christ is raised, then it means that he was not tricking us. He really did die. And if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it means that he was righteous and he died unjustly, which means that he couldn't have died for his own sins because he didn't have any. And so he must have died for ours. And if Jesus Christ is raised, who died on the cross for our sins, it means that we really are forgiven. And if he was raised, it means that he has a body. And if he was raised in a body, it means that he really did appear to Peter, and then to the twelve, and then to 500 people all at once, and then to James, and then to the apostles. If Jesus Christ is raised, then it means that he also appeared to me, even though I, Paul, was at the wrong place, at the wrong time, and on the wrong team. If Jesus Christ did appear to all these people in a body and to me, well, then Christ really was raised from the dead. And that would mean that Jesus 
is the first fruits, the beginning of a new harvest popping forth out of the barren ground that one day will include all of you too. For as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be made alive. And if Christ is the first fruits of God's harvest, the firstborn from among the dead, it means that you will be raised in a body too. And if you will be raised in a body too, then it means that this gospel I told you is true. And it means that your faith is not in vain and neither is the labor that you labor to endure through the last days of your life in this world. And if Christ is raised, then it means that death is in God's crosshairs even now and it's already as good as over. And if Christ is raised, then death is the last enemy. And on the last day, you can rest assured that death will be swallowed whole. And that means that if Christ is raised, you have nothing to fear after all. The preacher in the book of Hebrews puts it marvelously like this. Jesus died so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Friends, the truth of Christianity hangs entirely on the events of one weekend. That they are true is the gospel that every Christian has received and holds and cherishes, and teaches, and passes on since Paul's day and the apostles. And it is the gospel that will continue to be proclaimed until the Lord returns on the last day with an iron scepter in hand and places all the enemies under his feet. On the last day, the firstborn from the dead will put the last enemy under his feet. It's the good news that the apostles heard on the first day of the week. Death for those in Christ is not the end of all things. Death in Christ is not being stripped to bear mortality. It is being clothed with more life than you can possibly imagine. Death in Christ means reunion with all those who have gone before you. And it means being able to stand in the presence of God and look up. It means glory. Paul believed it with every fiber of his being, which is how he is able in this marvelous passage to taunt death. Where is your sting, O death? What happened to your victory? Oh, did you lose it? Who has the audacity to taunt death? Paul doesn't just taunt it with words, but in fact his whole life. Have you read the story about this guy? 
He spends his whole life traveling the world, being imprisoned, beaten, betrayed, abandoned, and finally killed. And all the while, he speaks truth to power as if he is unafraid. He brings offerings to the impoverished. He makes a church out of people groups who, up until this point, would never have sat foot together in the same room, much less under the same roof. The last thing that Paul says is the first thing that we have to keep first. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And on the last Sunday of the church year, which is today, Christ the King Sunday, Paul declares the good news that the disciples heard on the first day of the week. He is not here. He is risen. And not just risen, but ascended. And if ascended, then king. And if king, then he will come again to judge the living and the dead and to raise us to new life too. And so even the Apostles' Creed taunts death. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Neener, neener. I believe in the forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting. Take that, death. Do you know what the mark of a truly fearless person is? Someone who can taunt her enemy. There was a pagan Greek physician named Galen who in the ancient world once begrudgingly admitted this about Christians. He said, Christians' contempt for death is patent to us every day. And in their keen pursuit of justice, they have attained a pitch not inferior to that of genuine philosophers. What is he saying? He's saying Christians live a way of life as good or better as the best PhD money can buy, and they do it by showing utter contempt for death in all its forms. And I'm kind of jealous. And so I wonder, what, what would we do if suddenly the fear of death melted like frost under the warm November sun. How would we treat people in an argument if we knew that Christ had already handed victory to us? How would we spend our time if eternity was guaranteed? How would we spend our wealth? What would we say if we really knew in our bones that death, though real and granite certain, is not final, one thing we might do is taunt. Oh, death, did you lose your stinger? Oh, death, did you, did you misplace your victory over my life? Oh, did Christ steal it from you when he walked out of the tomb that you sealed shut to keep him there? Oh, poor you. We might feel so emboldened because we too have heard the news. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of God's harvest, and friends in Adam all die, and now in Christ the King. Our lives are the taunt. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, Paul's bracing words take us through all of the concerns and questions and joys and fears and sorrows and anxieties that we have brought with us and that have followed us unwelcomely here, right beneath all of it to the very core, to something that we would rather keep quiet about because it seems so unbelievable. Which is, of course, the point that Paul is trying to show us again that whatever we bring with us, it is the work of your Spirit to help us look beneath, to look beyond, to see our fears and to see them swallowed whole by your good news which envelops us, raises us into a kind of hope and energy and faith That is certainly not something we could do on our own. And so we ask, O God, who raised Jesus from the dead, that by that same mighty spiritual power, even now, you would come and raise us. Amen. As a church, we've said one of our values is receiving Christ's word, this posture, right, which we've been talking about. One of the ways that we do that together is by giving an opportunity for our third through fifth grade students to to come up, to be blessed, and then to spend time with some of our church leaders, helping them to think through together about what they're seeing and noticing in church. So guys, do you want to come on up? Because we would love to bless you before we give you an opportunity to talk with our leaders, so come on down. And friends, would you join me in this prayer of blessing for them? People of God, what is our prayer for these students? Almighty and loving God, we thank you for the gift of your word. This is you guys. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. And we continue our response together, sometimes with a song, sometimes first with a statement or a confession, a proclamation. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit as we say together some of these words from a statement of faith in the Christian Reformed Church called, Our World Belongs to God. Friends, let's raise our voices together saying, Our hope for a new creation is not tied to what humans can do, for we believe that one day every challenge to God's rule will be crushed. His kingdom will fully come, and the Lord will rule. Come, Lord Jesus, come.
We long for that day when our bodies are raised. The Lord wipes away our tears and we dwell forever in the presence of God. We will take our place in the new creation where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain and the Lord will be our light. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Friends, let's sing together.
this, this God who has experienced the same things that we experience in this life is his arms are big enough to hold all of it and to hold us in the midst of whatever we face. I invite you to open your hands as an act of trust, lift your eyes and receive God's blessing for you. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
friends, go now in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.